Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. I'm so glad you guys tuned in today as we uh, are in our quest to connect real life with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when those two things come together uh, and the Lord is writing our story, our lives are amazing. And that's really what we've been talking about is uh, the stories that we live, the stories that we tell. We'll get into that in just a moment. Yeah. But, um, you know, the best story is when Jesus is is in charge of your life so uh we're wanting to, to sound that alarm and uh, and make that case every single week when we come together and uh we're glad that you're tuning in with us today as we talk about that so much to talk about we just got done with valentine's day and uh i totally forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're, we're not big valentine's people my wife and i yeah so uh we normally celebrate afterwards. Right? Okay. I tell myself that. <laughs> all right, all right. It, well, and it's tough, too. Of course, Valentine's Day was on a Monday, which wasn't so bad. I imagine most people probably celebrating uh, maybe on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, but I was gone this weekend. Yeah. You know, we just got done with our uh, our national conference, which was phenomenal. That was down in Orlando. Uh, and then on the heels of that, I uh, went to a great NRP church in a place called Yadkinville, North Carolina. Nice. I couldn't believe how quiet it was. <laughs> on, on my uh, on Saturday before I ministered on Sunday, I was just walking in the neighborhood, and it, and I couldn't believe again. It was just so quiet. It was wonderful. Uh, we had 70 degrees on Saturday and snow on Sunday in Yakimville. <laughs> I thought only Indiana had crazy weather like that, but uh, yeah. but evidently it's it's out there. But here was my challenge. I had to figure out, and, and not to brag or anything, but I do have a, a few years of experience on you. But I had to figure out how to get my wife a Valentine's Day gift in between a national conference, a oh, weekend yeah. of ministry, a flight on Sunday, and I'm home on Monday. So... Praise the Lord. I, uh, I struck yeah. it rich at the uh, Charlotte airport. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got my wife some beautiful body lotions and all that kind of stuff. Nice, Hand nice. cream, smelly goods, and uh, she loved it. So, And then we went out for a little lunch on, on Monday So when I got back, so that was nice. So yeah. anyway, praise the Lord for that. But um, uh, while I was away, uh, you did a great job uh, carrying the water once again on, uh, on the shame topic, which yeah. is... A topic that we're going to be uh, introducing today, but I guess before we do that, we always like to take this podcast to uh, highlight, you know, just areas of concern in the larger culture. The beauty of, of Jesus is when he speaks truth, it's not just religious truth, it's truth about everything. And, uh, and what we're seeing right now to, uh, with our neighbors to the north up in Canada is a massive revolt against government overreach. And, uh, and just to back up, you know, we felt all along like this was crazy. Just when you use your common sense, you realize putting this little piece of cloth on your face only to get into the restaurant. But when you sit down, you can take the cloth off mm -hmm. to eat or on yeah. an airplane or, you know, you're walking through the air airport and you see pe people sitting in the uh, waiting areas. And some of them are eating food before drinking coffee. None of them have a mask on. But then the airport says you, you can't enter the airport without a mask. You have to, you know. So all this, uh, I think it was a John Hopkins, Hopkins University study that came out and basically said all of the lockdowns, social distancing, mask, all that uh, proves to do basically nothing or very, very little, minimal impact. Yeah. And that was a John Hopkins University study by scientists. Um, who are coming up with just the, the opposite conclusion. And we've been saying this all along, just the, the, the cost of, of the government overreach in terms of mental health, economic well-being, 
uh, all the factors, you know, people that were not able to be with loved ones when they were um, uh, dying, people that couldn't have surgeries because uh, they were not vaccinated. I'm still, to this, to this day, I am still filling out uh, stacks of, of letters uh, trying to protect people's religious liberties. Uh, the irony, we just yeah. watched the Super Bowl uh, on Sunday. Uh, that whole stadium is full of people cheering, as they should be, and celebrating uh, a great uh, sports event here in America. And yet we still have communities like L.A. that are uh, manda mandating that the kids still wear masks to school. I mean, it's, it's the, you look at the disparity, and, and it's just crazy. And so and we have the trucker phenomenon. Thank God for the truckers. And yeah. God, for those that maybe aren't aware of what's going on, give a little background. Why are they doing what they're doing, and what's what's the reason for the outrage? Yeah, I, I, I'm not expert in this, but basically, yeah. my understanding is basically a bunch of truckers, like thousands and thousands, and many other people. It's not just the truckers are gathering in Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada, right? And basically staging a huge protest against these mandates. You know. And, and the reason being is Comrade Trudeau up to the north uh, basically told them that you're not able to come and go throughout Canada and do your job as a trucker unless you have proof of vaccination. So again, we get into a government overreach telling private individuals what they can, must do to be able to, to basically, this, is a, this was a death threat to their uh, livelihoods. Mm -hmm. Basically, he was handing uh, all these truckers a pink slip uh, and finally, they've had enough, and, and I'm grateful. They just said, we're done with this. They drive all their trucks to the Capitol, park their trucks. Of course, they clog up all the highways and, and, uh, and basically stop business as usual. And I don't know how long they've been up there now, but, but, the, but it has been escalating. Um, I found it interesting that when they wanted to talk and share their concerns with the prime minister, he conveniently left town yeah. uh, and then called them terrorists. Um, that's not a good way to start a conversation. But anyway, so instead of any meaningful dialogue about issues, the government is treating their own citizens uh, like terrorists. And yeah. share a little bit because this is just hot off yeah. the press. I mean, you, there's, there's different perspectives you can take on all that. But I think one thing that I think you can't really argue is what happened with GoFundMe. Um, yeah. This Obviously, if you've been following this, this was huge in the news. And, and since then, they have retracted what they did. But basically, they froze. There was a huge amount of money. It was like $9 million or something like that donated for, for the Truckers Freedom Convoy, whatever they call it. And GoFundMe deemed them illegal, terror, whatever group it is. So they froze their funds, okay, okay, and then the least they could do is give the money back to all the people who gave it, right? Sure. But they, what they were going to do is designate these funds to whatever approved charity. Right, which, which is some liberal some, radical group. But, I mean, that blew my mind. And after much criticism, I think GoFundMe retracted and they ended up giving the money back to whatever, whatever. But the, just even the thought to say, hey, we feel enough entitlement and freedom for us to take your hard-earned money for this cause that we deem, we arbitrarily deem bad and give it to whatever cause we deem good. Yeah, that's theft. It, it, it blows my mind. It, it, the, the, for people to even consider that. I mean, I'm not surprised for GoFundMe or whatever group to say, hey, you know what, that group we don't support, we're not gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna boycott that group. We're gonna shut that. That's happened throughout. I'm not surprised by that. Right. But for them to actually designate funds to other group they deem, I mean, I just, that, that just blows my mind that we even enter into that phase of history. Well, and we've talked about the radical inconsistencies because when our cities were burning down, there were groups that were raising money to support 
you know, the people who were doing all of that. When when we went out to Seattle and they took over the whole city and, and burned down City Hall, right. um, there were funding groups for radicals that were sending money to support that. that that's all fine. But when people support freedom or liberty or they're in, or coming out in any way against the policy relating to the vaccine or to, to COVID period, um, you know, we have this kind of a response. Same thing with the whole Joe Rogan thing. Like, I'm, I'm not I don't know Joe Rogan real well. I don't understand. But it's just amazing to me the the vitriol and again the economic pressure that's being put well, on people simply to to say what government wants them to say which well, is scary you and i just watched how in canada they, they invoked the emergency act which we don't i mean i'm not expert on this but one thing we read again was that justin trudeau had the ability to like regulate bank freeze bank accounts uh freeze insurances for people and i'm just like wow so they're in a state basically now of like uh, emergency martial law where the government comes in and they're able to uh, pretty much bring in the full weight of government to to uh, arrest these people. And as you said, it's more than arrest. It's really about destroying your life and making you a non-citizen. I mean, you're, you're basically a terrorist. The slippery, the slippery slope, I can't even say it, slippery slope of this, think about this, in which is your money even yours anymore? Is your house even yours anymore? Are your kids even yours anymore? Yeah. Just this, this is just north of us, okay? Which and, is, and this has been a, an ally, a friend of liberty, a, a nation that's been closely, probably most closely aligned uh, with our values and ideologies until uh, Justin Trudeau comes into office. And this guy is a r radical leftist. I mean, he's a little, he's a little petty dictator is what he is, and he supports every radical kind of agenda possible including yeah. trampling of your free speech confiscation of your private property and and basically with one you know one act here uh, of his uh, decree going out he's now the dictator of canada and everybody who stands against him uh, is going to pay the price for it which is scary the, the emergency act again based on what we read has never been invoked before it's never been invoked in canada and this is a turning point. I mean, this is a huge turning point in history, I believe, to do this, to freeze people's bank account for people who are advocating for their freedom. Um, they're not out there killing people, blowing buildings yeah. up. There's pictures of these people, you know, having uh, cooking out, uh, kids in bouncy Singing, seat, waving bouncy. Yeah. There, you know, it's a protest. Fun, it, yeah. It's a protest. It is a peaceful it's protest. A, it's a protest. And, and to, to revoke the bank account, to freeze our assets. And I'm just thinking, man, I mean, everything's digital, these places. You know, I don't, the, the money you and I have in our bank accounts is digital, you know? Right. So the government come and just, it, it just makes us, you, you go down that path of thinking and oh, you're yeah. just like, wait a second, where, where are we going with this? You know? I've, I've been concerned with how uh, corporate America, which used to be on the side of conservatives, corporate America has now been co-opted into every leftist liberal thing. And when you when you put the media together with corporate America together with big government, yeah. uh, that is a demonic trinity that just uh, spells trouble. Because uh, uh, if you're not going along with whatever the current orthodoxy is, yeah. they will punish you, shut you down, make you pay. Uh, and I, so I'm grateful that these truckers, you know, are physically and peacefully. Uh, simply stating we've had enough and you're, you're not going to destroy our lives. I mean, this is kind of like the, the Tea Party uh, back in, in Boston, right, in our day. 
um, basically people revolting and saying we're not paying taxes uh, and when we have no representation you're not going to trample our liberties and the list goes on and on and on of the grievances that led to the American Revolution and these are all things that you know we've enjoyed for centuries now in America uh, that we can no longer take for granted uh, and we're just, again when it gets as close as Canada uh, and we're watching it just to the north yeah. of us. Uh, I mean, that's about as close as we've seen it get. Well, I think that's what you said exactly right. We can't take those things for granted. Uh, for me, when I saw what they did with the with the, with the, with the currency, with finances, money, I'm like, hmm, can I take for granted that the bank account, my money, in my bank account, will remain mine? I mean, again, yeah. I'm not pulling. I'm not. I'm not crying wolf here. I'm. I'm just following that trend of thought. Yeah. And, and what we take for granted, our liberty, our free speech, our Second Amendment right, our First Amendment rights. Yeah. We can't take none of this for granted. I'm just thinking of America as the United States. There's really no country like ours. We're a, we're a big quilt of individual states that are united you know, as one nation. The wisdom and the beauty of our founders in doing that was, yeah. was incredible because you realize... Um, the power that we have locally to preserve our liberties, the weaknesses that we have when everything becomes nationalized yeah. to lose our liberties, and uh, and why, as you and I were both talking, we need to focus on local banking, we need to focus on local education, we need to, to stop the heavy-handed top-down approach. Really, we need to get back to a Republican form of government and a conservative form of government, which our founders understood to be the safest uh, for our liberties. and. You know, so as we get closer to the midterm elections, some of these other things, uh, this is why we, we've got to be engaged and, uh, and we've got to know what's at stake. And uh, so keep your eyes on what's happening up in Canada as um, uh, this is a deeply concerning time to see, you know, how this escalates into government violence, uh, military violence, and just the trampling of these people's uh, peaceful people who just simply care about being able to, to move about the country and to be free and to to raise their families and to provide for their families. These are just basic, basic liberties that we have um, that are being threatened right now. And if it's that close, uh, you know the potential is for this to, to creep over the border. And we're already seeing that in so many, so many ways in America. I mean, right, right now, now it's a real power struggle because I can see what Trudeau's thinking. Again, not his brain, but I can imagine he's thinking, if I give in now, what else am I going to give in later? If I give in now, what statement were we going to make? Sure, it's a power struggle. It's a power struggle, and it's about pride and it's about control. And uh, I just, you know, I, I don't know <laughs> when his election's coming back up in Canada, but uh, I, I can't. Let's make sure it's a fair election. I don't even go in that. <laughs> there we go. There on that one too, right? Uh, Lord help us. We've got so many, so many fronts. Uh, right, but but one one big takeaway, like you said about businesses, is that's why we're trying to raise up small local kingdom businesses because the yeah. impact when you create enterprise you have such great impact yeah. on your community in so many different ways you create functions and systems that brings profit brings goods to other people and you can you and you can use your influence for terrible things right. and you can use your influence for the goal for the glory of god and that's why we want to encourage kingdom businesses just realize you if you want to reform nation your nation you know start with your place of work right you know? and i just want to say as a local church we we have got to be providing cover and support uh collectively for our business owners uh you know we said as a church never again are we going to allow this to happen in terms of shutting us down you know the the kingdom business um but i think there's there's small business owners out there that, and entrepreneurs that need to be saying you know what I will never allow the government to unilaterally say that I'm not essential and come in and just shut my business down. This is my livelihood. I've, I've invested my life. 
This might be your inheritance for your children. Um, this is where the local church needs to provide a cover for these folks so that if they are in any way uh, attacked uh, or threatened, that it's not uh, them simply standing up. It's the entire collective body of Christ uh, yeah. and, and the spiritual leadership of the community saying this is, this is unacceptable. Uh, and uh, we've we've gotten to that place where where like you said either in, in Christian business homeschool uh, the local church these are all areas where we really need to lock our arms together because uh, now is the time the battle is raging and it's getting it's getting stronger yeah. all the time so let's uh, shift gears here we we began a really really important series here at Living Stones I think probably a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Andrew and I may have been talking about um, just some revelations of how shame tries to write our story and, and create a script for us that really destroys our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And uh, and Andrew's sharing was so good. Uh, Andrew and Debbie just laying their lives open uh, that I really felt like, you know what, as a sermon series, this would be good to spend some time here. So when you're watching this, um, we will have done two two series or two parts to this Mighty series. Three. Uh, yeah, perhaps three by the time this shows up, um, with myself kicking it off, and then Pastor Andrew heading, heading up last week, and then I'll be picking it up this coming Sunday. Uh, actually, when you're seeing this, I will have just preached this message uh, 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 on shame. But why is shame, um, I guess, uh, equally applicable to probably, if, like if you're breathing right now, you, yeah. you are going to be dealing with shame. I mean, it's, it's applicable to every human being. It doesn't matter what country you're from, what age you are. I mean, shame is like the air we breathe. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you understand the design of a human, okay, shame to me is like the specific virus engineered to cause destruction in the person's design because it attacks the central question a, a person has which is, am I valuable? Am I important to somebody? Yeah. Am I good? Do I have what it takes? Am I enough? You know, And shame is wired by the enemy to strategically attack that central question and basically says no. And when it hits you, you kind of shuts everything down. It's like that, it's like a, it's that intelligent um, uh, bug that comes in the computer and just kind of wipes everything out. You know, we are saying that shame is so much more deadly than say guilt because guilt guilt deals with the fact that we did something wrong yeah. you know hey you you took that phone from your sister go give it back to her and, you know if it's a child and, and apologize well when we take it back and we apologize then there's no more guilt we've we've made the we've made the situation right yeah. but shame goes much deeper talk yeah. about why shame is you know, i guess more Tenacious. It's, it's more deeply rooted and it's more devastating, really, in the long run um, than guilt. How, how do the two differ? Yeah, man, I love your point is because they attach our identity. And, and we, you know, we understand on a deep level that there's not much we can do to change our identity, yeah. which is it's just Bible talks about so much how Christ came to change our identity yeah. to make us new creations. So that's a whole other yeah, awesome right. aspect. I mean, you view from that perspective, gospel is just beautiful, right? Yeah. But 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 for the for, for the normal person. You understand you you only have a certain you don't have much control over your identity, and, and when your identity is attacked, I mean you feel helpless, and you're just like this. It doesn't matter how hard I work, how hard I try, it doesn't matter anyway. So we give up. So yeah. shame leads to isolation, paralysis, yeah. and you give up. Yeah, and and I think that that devastating comment that you're not enough, you're not valuable enough, you're not worthy, uh, you're not smart enough, whatever whatever it is. 
it, it goes right to the core of who I am. I love what the story, I didn't love the story, the story was painful, but it was powerful when you talked about, um, you know, being in, I guess it was public school, and another Asian student came up yeah. to you when you were just a kid yeah. and basically said, I'm better than you in everything. Um, and it was a comparison game again, which basically said, I'm valuable, you're, you're not. not. Right. I have what it takes, you don't. Right. Uh, those are painful messages that get imprinted on you, even as a child, yeah. where now you're dealing with, uh, am I enough? Do I have what it takes? And th those, those are, are huge uh, you know, body blows to our identity that sometimes people never recover from, where they spend much of their life just dealing with this pervasive sense of shame and fear that they're never going to have what it takes to, to be successful or, to, or to, to be enough. Yeah, I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid, but I never knew anything about this. I, I didn't know anything about the fundamental question that a man, a young boy, or, or a young woman, lady, ask herself, ask each other, ask their parents, you know? And I think John Eldridge, in his book, Wild of Heart, Followed by God, some of these books about, really helped me understand, wow, yeah, that's absolutely the question. Every day I wake up, I'm asking that question. Do I have what it takes? Am I so, so much of our fear, anxiety, tension, uh, is centered around me trying every day to answer that question, yeah. right? I mean, a man wakes up and, and maybe he's going off to work and, and that underlying nagging, it's not even conscious sometimes. It's like a low-grade fever. Yeah, he just It's always, man, do I have what it takes? Am I going to work hard enough? To, can, I, can I provide? Uh, can I be good enough? And then you go to work and it's the, you know, it's that kind of macho toxic culture yeah. where everybody's putting each other down or trying to elevate themselves. And, and every day they get assaulted with that core message, yeah. uh, am I enough? And of course, on the woman's side, we just talked about, you know, the beauty of Valentine's Day is it gives us a chance to tell our wives uh, or, or girlfriends, there's people that we love, hey, you're special, I value you, you know, that, that whole phrase, be mine, yeah. it means you're wanted, you're, you're pursued, yeah. you're precious, you're you're worthy. And those are those core messages, I think, right. as human beings, that we just, we have to have answered. Right. And uh, and by the way, this, this Sunday, I'm going to talk about uh, how Jesus so is it's a probably model. last Sunday. Well, yeah, last Sunday. <laughs> uh, week three, uh, I'm going to talk about learning from Jesus because Jesus is a model for us in everything. And he's a model for us in our identity. Yeah. And he's really a model for us uh, in how to deal with shame. So we're going to unpackage that in the, in the days and weeks awesome. to come. Yeah. Yeah. But, but anyway, we, we, we introduced this topic uh, with a passage in the Bible that I've had people tell me in all my years of going to church, I never heard a message preached on that chapter or that yeah. scenario. And I can understand why. Yeah. It's one of the most gut-wrenching, uh, tragic uh, passages, I think, in all of Scripture. Yeah, you've distorted Tamar and um, Amnon. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those passages you read in the Bible. You're like, eh, I'm going to skip that chapter. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's, it, you know. And I told my wife, it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit conveys uh, such a heart-wrenching scenario with such elegance and, and, uh, and, and an economy of words. Uh, you know, you read through that, and of course, uh, the this, this story goes, uh, Amnon sets up, is lusting after his half-sister, uh, she is a favored daughter of the king. Um, she is a virgin kept aside, kept apart uh, as, a, as a means of protection and as a means of honor. She's wearing a beautiful garment that's given to her from her father, who is the king. And uh, 
And Ammon is dealing with, I think, something that is so prevalent in our American culture today. It's, it's that spirit of lust that says, I want to possess, I want to take. I, at any cost, it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, I'm going to have what I want. Right. And, uh, and he sets up a, this wicked plan uh, that he's going to feign being sick. He's going to ask his father, the king, to send his half-sister, Tamar, to come and to cook his favorite you know, meal. And while he has her there, he's going to basically send all the uh, attendants away. So it's just the two of them. And then he's going to take advantage of her. And that's exactly what he does. So the, the Bible says that he raped her. And here's the tragedy of this is that Tamar did nothing wrong. In fact, when you look through that passage, she is, if there's a victim, she fits the job description yeah. perfectly of what a victim is. Yeah. She she she's done doing nothing wrong she's serving she's honoring her father yep. she's serving her half brother um she she resists she says no she says think about what you're doing think about what you're going to do to me think about your reputation yep. you're going to be the biggest fool uh, in all of israel this is what you're doing is wicked yep. i mean and then she says at least do this properly go to the king go to our father and if and share what you want and do this properly um but of course he resists it all and he physically abuses her he rapes her he, he, he steals her virginity and uh and she's absolutely devastated and talk a little bit about the interplay of shame here because this passage is so full of shame in fact tamar's response mm -hmm. uh she tears her clothes, she puts ashes on her beautiful hair, yeah. and she leaves there just with her, with her face in her hands, a picture of shame, uh, weeping. Um, and she knows at that point her life is never going to be the same. Yeah. Um, how, do, how does shame, I guess, enter? What, what's the relationship between sin and guilt and shame, and, and how does this passage... Yeah, shame begets shame. Shame multiplies itself, yeah. and, and and that's the it, it's like a again it's like a virus. It yeah. literally is a virus. It just multiplies itself, you know. Amon, the, the Bible says, after the deed, his his love or lust turned into shame, turned to anger, turned to rejection. Yeah. And he literally he told his servants to throw her out. Yeah, like she's a piece of trash. Okay, and she's begging, please don't do this. Yeah. And so imagine again the object of your love, which is yeah. really lust becomes the object of your disgust so so right. now he's looking at her where he once looked at her with desire now he yeah. looks at her with disgust yeah now talk about that because and all this after again after she's been violated deeply shamed now she feels rejected i mean the bible even says he they threw her out they closed the door they bolted it shut yeah. i mean you talk about a powerful picture of rejection right and and he himself in the moment was probably ministered by shame and he know i mean this is i mean this is like legitimate guilt and shame i mean he committed atrocious thing and you know when you're in the moment you're not thinking about it we all been there right yeah. but afterwards we're like oh what have i done yeah. and shame is there saying i gotcha yeah, i well, gotcha i won proverbs talks about stolen fruit you know it, it, it's sweet to the taste but when it when you digest it it becomes bitter and yeah. i think that's you know he enjoyed the sweetness of the act, but now the bitterness of all that is sinking in, and he's realizing, what have I done? And so instead of dealing with his guilt in yep. a proper way, he he releases anger. And you talked about that recently, you know, how 
anger is a can be one of the ways that the shame is expressed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I compare Adam and Eve when when they felt shame, they hid from God, but their son Cain, when he was dealt with shame, he expressed himself in anger and violence, right, and killing his brother Abel. So the shame expresses itself in so many different ways. And in, in his case, he expresses shame. Okay, again, the voice of shame is you're not enough, you're not good. Okay. And he doesn't really have much argument at that moment against that because of his heinous act he just committed. So his response to that, which the appropriate response is falling his knee in repentance and brokenness and crying out for mercy. But instead of doing that, he responds in in, in violence and rejection and saying, you caused me. I mean, essentially, without saying that he's feeling he probably laid blame on her sure. as the object of his shame. Sure. She's the closest thing for him to blame his shame, to project his shame. So he throws even more shame on her by casting her out. Yeah, so he throws her out. But I want you to notice, too, because you talked about hiding. Yeah. What does he do? He basically bolts the door to, to the chambers where he's committed the deed. Yeah. And he's, he's in isolation. Yeah. Because he knows once word gets out, he, you know, he's going to be in trouble. Yeah. And um, so we got this interplay between shame. Now, this is this is what's important to understand too. Is sometimes we experience shame because of something we did. That that's Amnon's story. But sometimes you go through life and you're experiencing shame because of what other people yeah. have done to us. Yeah. And and I my heart just breaks over Tamar because she she is a highly favored, greatly loved beautiful virgin daughter of the king wearing the beautiful robes that are a sign of her father's affection and, and i want to remind us you know this is all true about us we're, we are greatly loved sons and daughters of our father we're like joseph you know we're, we have a coat of many colors it's the coat of righteousness that christ purchased for us on the cross we are in a position of, of being highly favored greatly loved uh, and blessed by the father but that doesn't mean sometimes injustice doesn't happen to us yeah. we live in a fallen broken world and just like tamar experienced a horrific uh you know act against her an act of injustice it doesn't mean god was blessing that or god was making that happen it just means that you can be righteous and do all the right things and yet still experience the attack of the devil and we should you know satan is always trying to hijack god's story for yeah. our lives yeah. And usually he does it that through the wicked actions of other people, sins committed against uh, us, uh, wrongs, injustices, pain. You know, the Bible says that, that Tamar lived the rest of her days as a desolate woman. Her whole future was, was changed because of one selfish act by, of all people, a half-brother, somebody in her own family. And, you know, we're here at the church, I mean, we, we deal with this all the time encounter weekends you know coming up and those by the way are 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 full or, or maxed out already but it shows you the reason these are so powerful is because we all are carrying around secrets many times of stuff that was done to us painful things that we've never been able to tell anybody because we're ashamed and you brought up the point you know there's this little phrase we like to use that hurt people hurt people yeah. but shame-filled people also shame other people uh, in fact when you're not, when you're dealing with shame, many times you are quick to judge, point fingers at other people. You keep your own sin hidden and and, and uh, you know kept out of the light. But you're living in the shame, and it expresses itself in a bitter, poison heart that that ministers shame to other people. That's why these encounter weekends are are so powerful because yeah. you can finally 
bring these things into the light, you know, and get some healing. And, and, and shame is so powerful because it, could, it, it hides, it can easily hide under religion. Yeah, and so you so can good. be in church your whole life, you can know the Bible inside out, but you have a seditious element hiding in your in your midst, on your shoulder, ministering shame to you, yeah. and you don't even know it. Yeah. Because that's how you grew up. Shame has become a powerful motivator for many people. Many people have done great things using shame. They got their kids to do many things using shame. Yeah. But inevitably, shame's gonna come and consume you. Yeah. It's not gonna lead to a happy ending. And man, you brought, brought out a point. I just, I wanna camp out here just for a second. Maybe yeah. we can wrap it up with this. But you know, our churches should be places where um, we're able to be transparent and vulnerable and bring things into the light. And yet, as you said, many times our churches and religious settings are the place where shame festers and grows. It's like a petri dish for shame. I was thinking of how Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, you guys are whitewashed sepulchers. You're, 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 you look good on the outside. You're whitewashed. You look all holy and white and pure. But on the inside, he says, you're full of dead men's bones. Mm. I mean, it was, you know, there's nothing that was synonymous with desecration and defilement more than death and 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 rotting. What the picture is, Jesus is like, you look good on the outside, but you're like rotting corpses on the inside, full of bones. I mean, you stink. Your flesh is decaying. There's nothing but, but filthy bones left. Um, and that's how we. That's how the Lord sees us. He's like, get get that stuff out. Put away the whitewash. You know, release those hidden secrets and bring them to the cross, where there's the power of Jesus to transform your life and to change you. That that's the beauty of the gospel. And so, you know, when we have the encounters coming up, that's what happens. We model. We tell our stories. Mm-hmm. We tell where Satan tried to hijack our story. We we also tell where Jesus took the story over and took the took Satan's pen from his hand and started rewriting God's story. And that, that's the beauty, beautiful message of hope, I think, that happens over and over again at the Encounter Weekends. And I think I'll give another way to look at the Pharisees' perspective. I just kind of thought about it. You know, what Jesus did was he, because of who he is, because of the truth that he is, versus the hypocrisy and the, and the, the fakeness of the Pharisees, he made them feel shame because they compared to him was not enough. Mm. So so again, when we're confronted with those things, we have a decision to make. Instead of humbling themselves. So says, yeah, you're the sword. You can change my identity. You know, well, the back stuff to what you said. Yeah. You know, how many times Jesus is performing a miracle or yeah. doing something that, that should cause everyone yeah. to repent and to bow before yeah. him. And yet, I'm always amazed at this. Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath. The next verse says, then the Pharisees got together and tried to figure out how to kill him. Yeah. So, I mean, that's exactly what you said. Like, when you cannot deal with the shame, then you either retreat into isolation yep. or you move forward and you move forward with anger and violence. He is the source of my shame. It's his fault. It's Jesus' fault. Yeah. We're, we're so hard. We'll move heaven and hell yeah. to try to kill this guy. Yeah, because he is threatening our little, yeah. our, our self-kingdom. And that blind spot is so big that you cannot even see how much, how many commandments you've break. You're breaking right now. And even Jesus called them out on it. But they can't see it. Because shame is speaking. So this ministering. They're the familiar voice of shame. That's why us in the church, we have to be so careful. Again, you asked me a few months ago, if you struggle with shame, I'll be like, no, I'm good. Yeah. And now now I'm realized, man, can I just share a story real quick last oh, yeah. night? Yeah. So my son, my son Nehemiah, uh, who hides in shame, he, last night, it was so crazy. He came up to me. He's like, I need, I need to talk to you. I'm like, What's going on? I was doing dishes. It's like eight o'clock on almost bedtime. He said, I played around with the magnet on your desk and I messed up 
some cutout my daughter had for me. I mean, it was yeah, literally nothing. Literally nothing. It wasn't even a sin. And he was just like, I'm so sorry. I feel full of shame right now. Now, we have trained him to communicate with us. So I appreciate that. I brought him, I, I took him over, and hug, and we went to go see. I was like, there's nothing, it's fine. I went back to doing dishes. And I look over in the room, the side room. He's there under the blanket reading, but he's like, his face didn't look right. So I went to him, I said, Nehemiah, what, what are you thinking right now? What, what are your voices talking to you right now? He says, my own voices? I'm like, no, the voices of shame. What are you hearing right now? This is what he said. He said, uh, I'm terrible. You don't like me anymore. I should, I don't belong in this family, and I should kill myself. Oh my word! And I, I, he's eight, eight years old. He grew up in a healthy family. We have never said anything like that ever to him. I've never told my son like, "I don't love right. you. You, you right. don't, you don't belong don't here. You should kill yeah, yourself. Exactly. You don't want to watch movies like that. We don't. I mean, nothing. Right. So, nothing. So this is the assignment of the enemy to to cancel him. It was so strategic. It was like, it was, I almost wish I could record that because it was so profound to me because the enemy through the voice of shame. I mean, I could kill myself. Like we don't watch anything. We don't watch Moana because it's too dark for my kids. I mean, like this, right. st- this like stuff. Horror movies no. on the TV or and, and, and it was so profound. And my wife was like, oh, I can't believe he's dealing with this at such a young age. And she was kind of getting bummed. I said, I said, I'm so excited because we get to teach him to counter the voice oh, yeah. of shame he's at gonna, this age. He's in an advanced training program yeah. in your house, you know. Uh, he's going to be so far ahead. But it's interesting, though. Again, you think that, again, this is your precious son who's deeply yeah. loved and who's raised in a yeah. godly family uh, and has been shielded from so much. What in the world is going on in the hearts of most of American young people yeah. today and America, period? But we're talking about young people. Uh, what are the messages that the enemy is sending to them that are also aided by all the things they're experiencing and the trauma at home and, you know, the perversion of the culture. So um, this is a, I just think God's bringing us as a church, I'm talking about the, the true church of Jesus, into a time again of profound healing so that he can use us to set set captives free. You know, people who have been set free from shame are able to set other people free from yeah. shame. Yeah. And I think that's the power of spending time on this message and really applying it. So Yeah, I mean, this is as practical. This is the lived out. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm so thankful God's teaching us this message now. Because my wife particular, and myself, but my wife particular faced tremendous shame growing up. But she didn't know how to handle There was yeah. none of this stuff. She yeah. just internalized it. Right. And she coped with it. Right. And she managed it but the it, whole but life. It's, but it's kept like a wet blanket over over her yeah. for years. Stifle what God wanted to do. Amazing woman, talented uh, guy. I I just have to say, you know, I'm close with this, but um, on episode two, uh, or sermon part two of this series on shame, Pastor Andrew had three different uh, recordings, video recordings of testimonies that were just powerful. But Debbie was one of those. And I, I called her up yesterday just to, to love on her and appreciate her and thank her that her willingness to share her journey is going to get empower a whole lot of people to be set free, and and uh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So go to our our website uh, at lstones.org under the media section, and you can access uh, uh, the whole series on shame. And we encourage you to, to spread the word to other people. You know, you you brought up the point. The very first, you know, we have a certain number of uh, of views on our social media and on our our sermon series. And when we introduced this shame topic, it doubled. Um, yeah. And I think that's because that's how much of a problem shame is. And there's a big interest out there and a big need for people to deal with the 
the hidden secrets, the guilt, the shame, the unrevealed sin that just ruins our lives. So, yeah. so I encourage you to check us out. Thanks for watching this podcast. And if we can help you in any way, call the church. You know, you, there might be someone that's watching here and you don't have a home church, but you need help. There's stuff going on in your life and maybe something we've shared today speaks to you. So, so please reach out, contact us here. Our number at the church is 219-663-PRAY. It's really easy to remember, 219-663-PRAY. And, uh, and there are people that would be willing and waiting and excited to, to help you or to direct you in the right direction where you can get some help. So thanks so much for watching today. We hope you enjoy this. We're going to continue this discussion on shame and how to be healed from it in the uh, weeks ahead. So tune in. You won't want to miss it.